Hello, Beyond the Mass listeners. Jeremy here. The ANA Foundation is planning another great fundraising event, and you won't even have to leave the comfort of your home to attend. Treasure Island, a virtual event for CRNAs and SRNAs, will be an online event featuring live and pre-recorded fun, information, recognition, and education presented by and for CRNAs and SRNAs. We set sail to Treasure Island on Sunday, August the 16th, and content will be available throughout August and September. Tickets are $100 for CRNAs and $25 for SRNAs. You can purchase your tickets today at www.aanafoundation.com and designate Treasure Island Ticket. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, I think we've got a uh, what I'm going to call a lightning rod podcast today. What do you think about that? I believe that you have hit this nail right on the head. But, you know, we've never shot a re- away from those lightning rods now, have we? No, we definitely hadn't. We definitely haven't. But uh, I know that the topic today is of interest to many, and uh, especially folks that have seen this on Facebook and um, heard about this. Uh, and, and Sharon, what are we talking about today? Uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the region directors and the region alignments and getting rid of the system that has been in place for many years within the AANA. And, you know, I served as a region director once upon a time, long time ago. Yeah, well, and like I said, it, it seems to have really turned into a lightning rod. Sharon, why don't you introduce the folks that are on with us today, and, uh, and we'll Absolutely. get started. Absolutely. It will be my pleasure. Usually I don't get this opportunity. I know. I thought I'd change it up a little bit today. <laughs> First of all, we have Sally Pepsel. Everybody knows Sally. She served on the AANA Board of Directors, and uh, she is a CRNA extraordinaire and has her finger in many, many, many pots. We have Julie Linton from West Virginia, you know, our our cow uh, milker girl (laughs) from West Virginia, state president, young state president. Actually, I just found a picture of us from whenever you were a student. And boy, you looked really young. <laughs> what do you mean? She still looks really young, Sharon. She really does. It she must really, be all, all that must be all that cow milking or something that goes on, you know. That's it. And we have Nick Blank with us from New Jersey, and Nick and I go back a very long way, and he and I share a love of government relations and. All of those things. So it, you have to put a water hose to the two of us whenever we get together. So we'd like to welcome you guys here today, and we're looking forward to this discussion. So, um, Julie, since you are a state president and a signer of this bylaw, why don't you tee us up right now? Sounds good. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you, Jeremy, for having us um, on here today to, to talk about this. And yes, I remember that picture that you're talking about. You look exactly the same. I may look younger in the picture, but you look exactly the same, Sharon. Um, so what we're talking about today and what has been uh, being talked about a lot are bylaw amendments five and six. So to kind of run through the history very quickly, The structure of the AANA Board of Directors is that there are seven region directors that serve seven regions. Uh, The country is broken up into seven regions. Each region director serves a two-year term serving those regions. 
Last year, a bylaw amendment was put forward that would um, change those region directors from the person who serves in that role is currently nominated and elected from within the region that they serve. Uh, they're nominated from the region that they serve and then they're elected nationally, but they have to live or work in the geographic region that they serve. And so last year there was a bylaw amendment proposed that would change that position to being an at-large position is how it's being described, which means that that person would still serve that region, but they would come from anywhere in the country. And one of the main arguments about that was that uh, we we were having trouble finding leaders within the regions to fill those positions. So instead of addressing what is, we will all admit, an obvious leadership development problem, there was a group of folks who decided that we should just go find some leaders somewhere else. Uh, and so they proposed this bylaw amendment. Uh, they got a lot of traction on social media. And uh, there was some confusion. There was a proviso proposed during the business meeting that was being discussed. And so when uh, the votes came through, it, it passed. And it passed overwhelmingly. And a lot of people don't work. And so um, what that proviso did was meant that, that bylaw amendment wouldn't go into effect until after this year's business meeting in 2020. So this change has not gone into effect. So in that time frame, after the vote went through last year, myself and a lot of other uh, state leaders, um, you know, went back home, talked to folks we work with, talked to CRNAs at state meetings, talked to CRNAs at national meetings. And what we found um, was that a lot of people felt the same way that we did, which was that it was confusing the way everything was put forward and that we really do not want our region director to come from outside of our region. We think it's the best way to serve our membership. We don't think it's the best way to develop future leaders. And so, you know, we all come back home, we're all having these conversations. You know, I think what kind of set the wheels of motion where we all got together at um, the ANA Leadership Summit last November. And the Government Relations Task Force had some roundtable discussions and we all got together and we all realized that we were all having these same conversations. And those conversations were our members coming to us talking about this saying, I'm really confused about this. I don't understand what it means. I don't want an at-large region director. I want a region director from my region. Can you fix this? And that was a recurrent theme in a lot of our, our discussions. So myself and 24 other state presidents are signers on Bylaw Amendment 5. And what Bylaw Amendment 5 would do is maintain the structure as we have it now, which means that um, each region will be represented by a region director who comes from the region they are serving. And then Bylaw Amendment 6 adds something that we think is really important, which is that that region director will only be voted for by the folks in that region. So right now I live in region two, but I just voted for the region director for region seven, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So bylaw amendment five keeps our current structure the way it is. And then it allows what we think is for really a more thoughtful approach to electing those leaders, which is to, to have only the region choosing who they want to represent them on the board. All right. Well, thank you, Julie. And I, th I think that uh, gives us a good background. Um, and I know that you've got some constituents that uh, don't agree with all this. Um, and Sally, I'll pose this question to you. Um, aren't at-large directors better for the ANA? And, and won't we get uh, better qualified individuals on the board if we do it this way? That's really a flawed logic. Because at large, there has been a lot of research and a lot of, in fact, uh, legal cases addressing at large voting. Because if you have at large voting, what happens is that oh, it's also known as plurality or at large voting method. It's the oldest trick in the book. You know, Supreme Justice Ginsburg cited that method along racial gerrymandering. And it's a preeminent second generation way to deny equal opportunity for minority voters and candidates. It will be stacking the deck. So it is possible that if you have an at-large uh, candidate, they could all come from the same region or from the same state. 
Now, if we do that, it goes against the very values that the ANA say. Our mission, vision, and values states that ANA is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so how do we propose to to include that? How do we practice that? It's not. It's not going to happen because what happens is if we really stand true to our ANA values, and we, we will espouse those values. So if you have an at-large, how you decide how qualified are they? How are they going to represent the unique needs of the state and the regions? Now, they say, well, the needs are the same, whether you know, nationally, the needs of our members are the same. I would argue that each state or each region has their own unique state laws and regulations that are not in concert with every other state in the country. So there's differences. So there are regional representation will bring about that sort of diversity to the organization rather than an at-large. For being a member-centric organization, really, we will be better served. The ANA will be better served by thought leaders who have broader perspectives. They have diverse viewpoints, they have various life experience, different cultural backgrounds, and you are drawing it from broad-based knowledge and skills. So all of this can only strengthen the board's decisions, decision-making capacity and build capacity for good and effective governance. We have a diverse member, not only from a cultural or ethnic or practice and so forth, but we also have diverse members from different practice settings and so forth. So if you get board, board members at large that are favored by whoever, the nominating committee, how do you represent really the whole membership? Hey, hey, Sally, that's difficult. You say right now, because I am a, a little bit familiar uh, with this. It, it, other people call it block the vote. So what yes. I'm say is your opponents want to go to an at-large voting system, which in other words, you put up a slate of candidates. Mm-hmm. And if you put five people, then the top five vote-getters are the winners. Yes. Okay. Well, for people who are not engaged in politics kind of the way I am, this was something that was used to suppress minority votes. And some could say, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, that we're 99% white within the AA&M, right? Yes, yes. then what you're saying is that uh, people of color, which you would be considered someone of color, um, may not be able to get elected because the 99% white people might vote for, you know, people vote for who they, somebody looks like. That's why I lost my house race to an old white man. (laughs) Everybody voted uh, for somebody who looked like them, you know, and I didn't look like them, so they didn't vote for me. So that's what I'm I'm taking away from this. Did I understand you correctly? Yes, and I might add, it will disenfranchise the smaller states. Oh, well, like that's- the smaller states. I my region in four has so many smaller states. There are only three larger states: Minnesota, Missouri, and well, those are the two big states in my region. So. Have been president because she's from Rhode Island and they've got three members there. I'm I'm being facetious, of course. Yeah. Jeremy, so we, in here. I see him pointing at me. <laughs> and one of the things, Sally, I was just going to say as we kind of pivot back here was, you know, how many people voted in the election anyway? I can't remember. Was it five percent? How much? 14 percent. This year. So you had fourteen percent yes. of the membership voted. That's and, not, that's very low. you know, if I'm thinking correctly about what you and Sharon were just discussing, you know, let's say you've got a, a, a county that is predominantly black and mm-hmm. you've got a state that is predominantly white. And what I'm hearing you say is that county, if, if we voted at large, wouldn't get their representation. And that's one of the fears in this scenario, which Correct. which makes a lot of sense there. And, uh, okay. All right. I'm with you. All right. Uh, so I have another question. 
so at large, you wouldn't have to live in the area. So if we equate this to, say, Congress, I could run against Nancy Pelosi, even though I live in North Carolina. That would be what at large voting would be like. So I think we've got some precedent within the AANA because there's a board member that didn't live in the area that they served. And Nick, wasn't that your region director per se that didn't live in the area that he represented? And would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, you know, the situation certainly um, presented itself such that the individual that was able to demonstrate an address for a state that was in that region and was able to demonstrate some employment at some point in time in that region uh, was sufficient to satisfy the criteria from the nominations committee. That being said, the full-time residents of that region director and the regular place of employment for that regional director was not within the region that they were elected to represent. And now, I think we have to be careful about making overgeneralizations that one person's poor performance um, should be used as the archetype to judge everybody's performance given the same opportunity. But the fact still remains that it illuminated some very um, serious and very obvious flaws in taking essentially what became an example of an at-large regional director type of arrangement and generalizing that to the system by which all of the regional directors in the ANA um, are elected. And so to that extent, right, um, travel and transportation for people who are not occupying regional director positions as full-time jobs is challenging. Time zones present an issue, especially when battles, legislative battles, and uh, the influence that the national persona of a regional director can bring to bear in testimony in the states or the regions that they're representing, you know, the, the, the benefits that you get from having those people be, be able to quickly uh, arrive on scene or to be able to effectively, you know, organize and put together, you know, what are often last minute conference calls and meetings becomes a lot more difficult if you have somebody um, that's, you know, three hours in time zone difference from one side of the country to the other. The other issue uh, that it brought up was cost, the ANA's cost that we expend for, you know, travel and transportation on regional directors to be able to do their job uh, is always under constant scrutiny. And obviously, if you have people, um, you know, traversing further distances to be able to, you know, effectively represent their region um, just worsens uh, that cost problem, right? And then I think you also have what may be um, something more qualitative in assessment rather than quantitative in assessment would be the engagement level that you can anticipate will come from working with people that you know or working with people who you know are known, friends of yours and colleagues that already have long established relationships in working with these people who are known to be invested in other issues that cross neighboring state boundaries versus the kind of engagement that you can expect from um, somebody who really is an unknown to you. And I think we saw every different example of those issues coming to bear on Region 1, uh, where not only did we have the travel and transportation problems, not only did we have you know the lack of being able to effectively set up last-minute meetings to be able to address state presidents as a cohort to be able to, you know, create a regional um, response to some of the issues that were going on that were common to all the states in that region. But you also had a lot of head-scratching over who is this individual and where are they from and where do they work and, you know, why would they be able to understand um, the differences between, you know, metropolitan New York City and rural Maine? 
right? And and how do you bridge that that gap if you're talking to someone who is used to or may have experience primarily in maybe critical access hospitals in various different you know areas of the country versus metropolitan areas that are um, you know maybe more common in one region over another. So. Uh, it turned out overall to be a very challenging situation for Region 1. And the region reacted, right? The region stepped up and, you know, for the first time, I think, ever in history, all the state presidents from one region, you know, rose to a microphone at a national meeting and said, you know, this is not what we want and we want something else done. And, you know, of course, I have to acknowledge the bias, right? Because I was the person that, you know, threw their name on the ballot as a write-in candidate, arguably maybe one of the most successful writing candidates. And the region, the states that make up Region 1, where I was the writing candidate, would have elected me, you know, writ large. Uh, but because the, you know, election was voted on, you know, by members across the entire country, specific to our region, the region presidents, you know, got a, a region director that they really didn't have any history or working relationship with at all. And so I think we're willing to, or we're likely to waste time in addressing those three major points of cost, availability, and engagement uh, by generalizing a director at large uh, type of arrangement, you know, across the entire ANA. And Sharon, if I could, I'll speak for just a second about the perceived dysfunctionality and um, what Julie originally alluded to in terms of, you know, the, the leadership development problem. And I think, you know, having, you know, administering an, an anesthesia company here that crosses multiple state borders, leadership development uh, is always an ongoing process. It shouldn't be something that ever ends. There are times when you will do it better. And there were times, times when, you know, you won't be so good at it. But uh, to throw the baby out with the bathwater here and, you know, not address leadership development in a more comprehensive way, but let's just, you know, burn the whole system down and start over is likely to cause uh, much more harm, you know, uh, than than it is good. So uh, I think there's a lot of work that we can do in, in leadership development, but I think there are many regions across the country uh, in the ANA that have spent a lot of time and work uh, over decades building you know, a, a sound regional representation type of, you know, leadership, sound leadership pipeline. And, you know, that pipeline is at risk for all those people who put in that effort by, you know, the 10 or the 15 percent of Florida voters, Texas voters, Pennsylvania voters, California voters, you know, that can honestly, you know, completely overshadow the votes um, of all the smaller states that don't carry that. So, I think there's a lot of work, you know, there, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into it. But I, I just my personal perspective on this and the perspective of the CRNAs, you know, that approach me in confidence about this issue. And there's been a multitude of them is that, you know, this is not the type of change that if we had a problem with, you know, regional directors actively representing their specific region in principle with the way that the regional director position is currently um, you know, administered inside the ANAs. And the thing to do really is to allow those regions to specifically elect their region director rather than, you know, a member in Maine deciding who's going to represent the interests of the members um, in Arizona. Just a quick interruption on today's show for a special message from Jeremy and Sharon. Well, Sharon, you know, I think we have one more thing in common. Oh, my Lord. What is it this time, Jeremy? Well, you know, it's something that you've been involved with your whole career and supported your whole career. And as you know, I am now a trustee of the ANA Foundation. Well, congratulations. They couldn't have picked a better man. Well, thank you. Thank you. I hope I can add a little bit of value anyway. But as part of that... Beyond the Mask is trying to do our part and support the foundation as well. Absolutely, we should. Yeah. And the foundation is planning another great fundraising event, but unfortunately... Oh, it's got to be virtual, I'm, I'm guessing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, thank you, COVID. So mm -hmm. uh, no San Diego event this year, but we're planning, I think, a wonderful event for CRNAs and SRNAs and who can participate from their own home. Well, that should be fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun event. Uh, it's going to be online. We're going to have live and pre-recorded fun and content. There's going to be information, uh, recognition, and even education presented by CRNAs and SRNAs around the country. And 
I think Beyond the Mask might even provide some content. I believe so. And we're going to have a mystery guest with us in our virtual room. Mm-hmm. I think people will find this mystery guest interesting. I, I think so. So how do you get a ticket, Jeremy? So you can go to the website, uh, www.aanafoundation.com. The event's going to be on Sunday, August the 16th. But since this is a virtual event, it's actually going to be recorded and the content's going to be available through August and September. But we're going to be live. We will be live. There's going to be several aspects of the event that will be live and some recorded. Um, I've never done anything like this before, so I'm excited. I am excited too. Yeah. And so are you going to dress like a pirate? Ooh, that would be fun. What would you be? <laughs> a winch, for sure. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> so, um, I, I, Captain Stanley. Yeah. And, you know, tickets, obviously, this is a fundraiser for the foundation. Mm-hmm. So, the tickets for CRNAs are going to be $100 a piece, which okay. is a deal yes, to support the foundation. And for SRNAs, are going to be $25 a piece. All right. So we just want to encourage our listeners to make sure you're supporting the ANA Foundation and all the great work the foundation does. Go out and buy a ticket. Show up on the 16th and participate with your other colleagues. We'll be there. Yes, we will. All right. Thanks, Jeremy and Sharon. Let's get back to today's show. All good points, Nick. And um, Julie, I'm going to just kind of throw one out here to you. If we've got all these phenomenal, wonderful leaders out there that are in waiting and uh, they're being you know, held back or, or not put into place in this current system. What do you think is keeping them from running in the current system? So your question is, you know, if we have all these, all these great leaders, um, what is holding them back from running? And really, Jeremy, I have the same question because all of those really phenomenal leaders already live in a region. So they are welcome to run for the region director position in the region where they live. And if we're identifying that there are regions that are stronger, that have good candidates, and there are regions where every year we feel like we're having trouble fielding some candidates from, then we need to first look at our nominations committee process and evaluate that and make sure we're doing the work that we need to be doing there. But we also need to look at those really strong regions and see what they're doing, how they're doing it, and see if we can use that template for other regions for leadership development. And look, I've grown up in region two. So I'm in, I will argue with anyone, the region that does leadership development the best. And one of the reasons for that is a woman sitting right here on this podcast, and that's Sharon. So we do two really important things. We do a Uh, a region retreat every year where all of the state leadership gets together and we learn about leadership. We do leadership development, but we spend a lot of time getting to know each other and getting to know the issues in the states within our region. And that is vitally important. And then the other thing that we do, and I believe Heather Rankin started this in region seven and Angela Mund has continued it in region two, is that we have a monthly phone call. So as you're serving in state leadership, you're getting to know not only how to be a better leader, but you're getting to know all of the states around you. And so when you're done, you know, when you've, you've served in state leadership, let's say you've had the opportunity to be state president and you feel like you really have something to offer this organization, you want to continue to serve the membership, that leadership development that you've had has you now poised to serve as a region director and you're ready to serve as a region director because you've spent a lot of time getting to know the other leaders in your region and you've gotten to know your region really well. So Nick said the exact phrase, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're saying there's a problem with this system. Let's just chuck what we have now and start over when really what we have to say is, you know, there are some places that do this really, really well. What are they doing? And how can we implement that in every region? How can we do this better? Because I'm telling you, if we're just going to say, oh, shoot, region 10, and I'm using a fictional region, region 10, every year we have trouble fielding good leaders from region 10. So you know what? Forget it. We're just going to go look in region two instead. 
we're going to really end up with an even bigger problem having good leaders to move this association forward. Whereas if we fix this problem now, don't get rid of the regions, make sure your region directors are doing their jobs and doing them well and serving their regions well, we will set ourselves up for immense success in the future. Well, Julie, uh, to address about region two, I do agree. Now, I see both sides of this coin. I finished my state presidency in 2002 and couldn't run for region director until the 2010 because we have so many good people. Okay. Now, I can also see the flip side of this in that. We have so many good people. We could have an entire board of directors of people from Region 2. We've had more national presidents from Region 2 than any other region in the country. And actually, we've had more national presidents from one school, Wake Forest. We've had five national presidents from Wake Forest where I went to school. So I can indeed see both sides of that coin. But, you know, Jeremy and I were talking about something earlier today. If you abolish the region director system, who's going to be the conduit from the states? Does the other side see that once these people are elected, they'll be assigned to these states? Or uh, Sally, uh, maybe you've seen that and you know the answer to that because when Jeremy and I was we're talking, we were using the analogy of you're walking across the parking lot and there's garbage in the parking lot. If it's not your parking lot, are you going to reach down and pick up the garbage? Now, Jeremy will, but <laughs> most people are not. So if it doesn't belong to you, you're not going to pay attention to it. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So Sally, if you can address that and just say what your opponents might uh, say to that. I don't know. The devil is in the details because none has not the board has not even that's a deliberation that the board has to do yet. My the assumption is that or what I'm hearing is that whoever sits on that at large will be assigned regions, which I find very, very difficult to understand because you will be putting a region, a director to be in charge of a region that he is not familiar with. Right. Now, a lot of the uh, being a region director is a lot about communication, building relationship, and then the trust. That is hard to establish when you have someone who is at large, who is not at all familiar with your region, who does not know anything about the uniqueness of your region or your state or your laws or your regulations. So I find it very difficult, very challenging, in fact, but I don't know how that's going to work out because they haven't worked that out. The bylaw has been approved, but the procedures and policies that go with that, they have to redefine the functions and responsibilities of the directors. Right. Well, speaking of that, you know, and I'm sure that you are well aware of this because, Sally, I know that you always do your homework. I chaired a work group back in 2012. Um, yep that looked at the roles and responsibilities of the region director and more closely defined it because I know that there were perceived problems that one region director did this, another region director did not. So we wanted to make it uniform. So, uh, you know, one other thing in there, and you can answer this because you're on the board, but one of our recommendations was to actually come up with um, requirements and qualifications to run for these elected positions. And and that was supposed to have been put together by the nominations committee. Was was that ever done? I don't know if they did because that recommendation, if I recall, states that you have to have the committee with the use of resources necessary, past leader consultants, to conduct a comprehensive review and revision as appropriate of the requirements, the qualifications to run for all elected position. That is the charge for the nominating committee. And that would include to certify that all the candidates have completed all the requirements and qualification to be placed on the ballot. 
is that really being done? I am not sure. I don't know how often they meet. It's an elected position to be in the nominating committee. And so I am not sure that was even, that even came clear when I was a board member. Let me ask you one other question, because I heard you saying something about the differences in each state. So I'm hearing you say that North Carolina may have different issues than your state of Missouri. Or do you think that all of our issues are exactly the same? No, they're not. Let me tell you, I will tell you Missouri is different. Mm-hmm. We are the only state in the country with a BNDD, the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drug. It's like your DEA. BNDD. It's called Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drug. It's like the state version of the DEA. Nobody else in the country has that. We do. So if we have to opt out, we have to include BNDD, the Board of Nursing, and the uh, Board of Healing Arts. And most of the provisions of those particular entities are in conflict with each other. So we have to take care of BNDD first, and then the Board of Healing Arts, and then our Board of Nursing, who don't really want to move that much. But now I think it's changing because we put two CRNAs on the board. Mm-hmm. So we, we find a really good window in that. So not everybody has the same. What makes it unique is because your state rules and regulation makes it unique. The issues may be the same, but the way and the approaches to go about it are different. Yeah. Sharon, I was just thinking of that as you guys were talking. I can imagine you being a regional director with California in your region. (laughs) You know, having to go out to California and not that you couldn't negotiate it, but it would have been a tougher path for you for sure if you would have been in California and living in North Carolina (laughs) with that accent. With that accent, I knew where you were going with that now. Sharon. Yes, ma'am. Hey, so this is Julie. I want to just pick out something that you said really quick, because I think it is the one point of concern for everyone that is working on this issue. And you said, so in theory, because we have amazing leadership in Region 2 and we have for decades, in theory, with the at-large director system, every single member on the AANA board of directors could be from region two. That's a that's a very real possibility. Every single member on the AANA board of directors could be from region seven, could be from region six, could be from one region, could be from one state. That is a very real possibility. And I, I think that members hear the argument for directors at large and they hear it as we want more choice. Uh, we don't want our choices restricted, but I think there is genuine concern and folks really have to think about the potential that one singular group could be running our entire board of directors from one very small geographic area or even from one very small think tank, one mindset. And that's the biggest reason why this really will not serve our members well. I want people on our board of directors who all think differently. I I don't want people from the same camp on the board of directors. I don't want people who think the same way I do about issues or, or who have grown up in the same thought process as I have. So I don't want all of region two's leaders to be on the board of directors. That is, that's the scenario that we are worried about and that the reason that we are doing this, we need a divorce, a diverse board of directors. We need it to be diverse in true diversity. And we also need it to be diverse in mindset. I'll just piggyback on what Julie said, because I think, you know, she was being courteous uh, with the way that she uh, outlined that, you know, as a probability of how uh, region directors elected at large could come from, you know, the same region or the same state. I I think the, the issue that the state presidents and the various members have raised to us is based on the numbers themselves and the voting percentages of the larger states that it is likely that the directors at large will come from the same region or will come from uh, the same state. The influence that uh, the larger states have just in terms of numbers, um, you know, makes it 
you know, almost a certainty that a situation like that will arise where you have, you know, individuals that come from, you know, perhaps the same mindset, perhaps even uh, with the same biases being the ones to, you know, be elected to those positions. And I, and I think we need to be careful of a bylaw amendment that was passed that got done in such a way without any of the, to Sally's point, any of the procedures in place to address, you know, the cost implications for this bylaw amendment in terms of traveling region directors or, um, you know, stipulations on how these directors at large will be, um, you know, assigned to specific regions, right? How, how is that going to work? And so none of those things, you know, have really been put into place. Uh, it's just, you know, well, let's get it done and, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. And I, and I think that that's a very dangerous thing. I, to Sally's point, you know, we want representation in a diverse way, not just diverse in terms of, uh, you know, the individuals of color or, you know, minority in terms of occupational workforce, but diversity of thought, right? And, you know, members, 55,000 members voting uh, in an election based on the size of the state and the region where they come from, uh, looking just at somebody's resume right in a one pager and say, hey, you know, this person, you know, looks good on paper, doesn't do much for the value of that to convey. It doesn't do much to convey the value of that individual's experiences in, in and around the states, you know, in the region, you know, where they're, where they're coming from. So I, I think it could create, and I think it's likely to create a situation where you're leaving all that off the table. And that's my point about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're stripping the system out and you're ignoring, you know, a lot of valuable candidates that if regions were allowed to erect their own regional director and not, you know, have anything to do with what, you know, really goes on in a region that they're not existing in, you know, you would be strengthening the current system that we have in place rather than throwing it out and trying to start over without any, um, you know, specific provisions uh, or specific guidelines as to how you're going to protect um, all those untoward consequences that are likely to occur. You brought up a, a good point, Nick. It passed last year, and yet we're coming back um, to undo what was passed. Why do you think that's occurring? Do you think people understood what they were voting on last year? Yeah, look, I, I mean, it's again, I think you're coming upon. I can only convey to you what, you know, the membership has conveyed to me and the relationships that I have in our region. And people seemed very confused at the way that things were structured and provisos and, you know, the arguments and pro and con and back and forth. And, um, you know, the membership at times can be reactionary. And, you know, those members voted yes, right? But after that is set in place, the pebble gets dropped into the pond. We listen to the repercussions of what just happened. And what we heard back from a lot of members was, whoa, wait, you know, this isn't what I thought I was voting for. This isn't the solution that I thought I was hearing back and forth at the microphones and whatnot. And now that, you know, they've kind of dug in. And that's great, right? We've got better member engagement than we've had before. We've got people sitting up straight and paying attention, you know, whereas otherwise they might have just perceived it as business uh, as usual. And so I think that there was at least what I'm hearing is there is considerable confusion, um, considerable enough, you know, to get me out of my seat. Right. And to say, hey, look, let's have this conversation. Let's let's bring this forward. You know, you're a membership of, of you know, intelligent individuals. And what would you like us to do about it? And that's what resulted in these two bylaw amendments. And I think they need to be heard. And I think um, anything to the contrary has to pass through the court of public opinion. And I get how a director at large type of arrangement works really well when you want change and you want change fast because you're mm -hmm. going from seven directors to five directors. And so right then and there, you've decreased the sphere of influence, right? You've consolidated it. And so you've got a situation where you're less likely to have more people to disagree and bog this down. The problem is, is that you've created an accelerated pathway um, with very little control and provisions to control what's getting into that pipeline. And to your analogy about garbage, you're a lot more likely to get garbage in, garbage out when you don't have that diversity of thought, when you don't have a multitude of opinions. And there has there isn't anything comprehensive to address, you know, how that would be protected. And I think the members right now are demanding protection. If anything, 
you know, they want to just elect their own regional director, not a director at large for a region that they don't work in. It doesn't really understand, you know, how their day to day operates. Yeah, that's great. Great point, Nick. Well, um, Sally, I'm going to throw one out here to you as we're going to try and close this here. But, you know, in, in order to be more effective, you know, I'm a, I'm a true business person, but shouldn't A&A be functioning more like a business than it currently does? And I think that might be one of the the issues that the other side has is that it's not functioning like a business. There's not enough change going on, especially in the culture that we're in today. People want changes. They want it fast. Um, and that seems to be the mantra of the other side of this debate. I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. First, let me say, if we are a member-centric or member-driven association with 54,000, yeah, we use a lot of business principles in running the association. But to treat the whole membership as part of the business, that's what I draw the line. We use business principles in making the association agile and effective and efficient. But thinking through about what members want and what directions we want to go through to meet, to be relevant, you have to think about diversity of thought, like Nick said. Right. Diversity of backgrounds, because research have already shown that boards that have diversity in leadership have 40, 45% uh, creativity and innovations. What right now, once the new board sits, it's an all white male, female board. Now, granted, they all come from different practice backgrounds and so forth. Still, it does not reflect the membership. It doesn't reflect the people we take care of. That is really the old, old, when you look at their poster, I saw the poster. They're all white male, two females. If you are a person of a different culture, a different diversity, et cetera, you want to see your face too. So how could I say that you are representing me? So what I say is, it should it be run by business? Yeah, it should be run by a business. You use the tools of business to run the association in terms of financial, uh, feeder, your feeder share responsibilities to run the uh, association so that you're responsible and you're transparent with the way how you spend your money, which is resource that you allocate based on your strategic direction or strategic priorities. That's what I see the business side of it. The thinking side of it is you have different thought leaders of different backgrounds thinking through what's in the best interest, not only of the members, but the whole association as a whole. Good point. Sharon, what's your thoughts on that? You know, going back to the part about having diversity in so many ways and something that Julie alluded to, you know, whenever I went through and put my committees together, even whenever I was president, I wouldn't even have two people from the same state on a committee. I made very sure that they were from different regions across the country just because I wanted to have you know, I know diversity is the tagline these days, but I wanted to have schools of thoughts and, you know, what happens in region two may not be what's happening in region five. Um, and so I wanted everybody to have something to bring to the table. I heard Nick talk about our why. And, you know, of course, I am very biased to that because Simon Sinek spoke at uh, my meeting um, whenever I was outgoing president. So it sounds like you guys have your your why to make sure that you hear the voice of the members from all over the country and not just from one area. Uh, you know, I can see both sides of this coin, but I also hear what Julie is saying in that we need to look at leadership development. And I think that was one of the things that came out of the report uh, from the task force that I chaired many, many years ago. But to kind of bring this all home, we've talked about the baby in the bathwater, and I have a piece of trivia about that. The, where that terminology came from was when you used to have to put the bath water, bring it in, warm it up and everything. Of course, the head of the household took their bath first. Of course, that's the man took his bath. 
first. And then as you went down the hierarchy, then that person got in the bath. So by the time you got to the last person who was taking the bath, the water was filthy and that was the baby. And so they always was afraid that the water was so dirty, you wouldn't see the baby and you would throw the baby out with the bath water. <laughs> Sharon, I yeah. wasn't sure where you were going with that. I thought you were going to talk about, you know, I was in the bathtub and I had the twins and <laughs> Pierce was there and he used his baseball catcher mitt, you know, I mean, I, I, I envisioned a totally different slant on that. So uh, you, you never know what I'm going to get out of you, Sharon. So I have to be uh, well, prepared. you know, I'm full of useless trivia what can i say well i mean i think this is has been a a great show you know we want to thank all of you for being on julie nick and sally um and getting your points across today i I think um our our listenership this these are good points i think they need to hear it and um sharon always your perspective is is good on this because you've been there and done it so but at this point i think it's a wrap I think so, too. All right. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and... Jaren Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, but only if it's... Positive. There's enough negativity in this world, Sharon. We don't need any more. So, until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.